You're listening to WGWG.org. Jeff in with you. Very pleased to have Jimmy Ray here in studio with us. Um, he's got a great story to tell, and he's been on campus talking to our uh, students at the Dimensions program this morning and very kindly agreed to uh, come into the studio and have a, a second conversation with us here. And I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun, Jimmy. Let me just tell people that a uh, long time ago, we were both student workers here right. uh, at the radio station. Uh, at Gardner Webb University, so it's kind of like a homecoming. It's nice to have you back in the not on just on campus, but back in the radio station building. So great welcome. to be back here. Thank you very much. So great to be back on campus again. Uh, you came on campus to share uh, your story, and it's a compelling and interesting story to tell. Let's start with uh, we can start with the beginning. Actually, we can talk. We can start with uh, um, only child. Your upbringing. Only child upbringing. Very. Um, Middle class upbringing. Brought up in the church. Absolutely. Uh, been to church as long as I can possibly remember going. Um, <laughs> and, you know, had everything I wanted, everything that I could be possibly blessed with. Two great parents. Um, yeah, great, great, great upbringing. Great and where, where was that? Troy, North Carolina, Carolina, Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of in the middle part of the state. Yeah. Near Randolph County. How did you end up as a student at Gardner Webb? That's funny. Um, I had never heard of Gardner Webb, and when I was a senior at, at, in high school, um, I had applied to Western Carolina University, where my parents graduated from, mm-hmm. and that's the only school I really knew much about, you yeah. know. Um, and then my mom knew that I was really involved with my youth ministry at in my church growing mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Um, as a youth, as a kid, but I just really gravitated toward the ministry there and the youth pastor there and stuff. And my mom knew that Gardner Webb was a Baptist affiliated school, in which we were grown up. She also knew that it had a um, a lot of uh, it was really a faith based organization school. And I think my mom wanted to steer me towards something like that, you mm-hmm. know. Which today I'm so appreciative that she did. So she, you know, mentioned to me Gardner Webb. I had a best friend. Um, that we had been best friends for years. We both, on a whim, took off one day from Troy and drove up here. Mm-hmm. We had met through doing, I had done some singing at some churches around town, and we had met a girl named Eva Whittington, um, who was here. Mm-hmm. And at the time, her name was Brenda Turnmeyer, who is now Brenda Killian, I think is her last name. I met those two um, girls back then at a small church, and they were students here. And those are the only two people I knew. So my friend Ron and I took off one day, and uh, when we got here to campus, Brenda actually met us here and told us where to go, mm-hmm. and that was it. And uh, we just had a tour. Um, one of the reps showed us around, and we said, okay, we'll go here. And my best friend and I both enrolled here that yeah. fall. Yeah. So what did you think you would end up studying when you came here as a student? Came here as a, actually came here to do education. Um there weren't a lot of males in elementary education at that time. And we were kind of promised a job back in our hometown when we left. My friend ended up getting his degree in education from here and went mm-hmm. back to home and teach. I got into it. I was here for a year and that really wasn't what I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. I quickly found that out, but I came here to be a teacher. Yeah. That was my whole thing. My dad was a teacher. So. And then you went into religious studies. No, I actually changed and went into music. Oh, okay. And, um, it wasn't, and then I quickly realized that it wasn't the type of music that I liked. And okay. I didn't know that going into it, you know, and it was a lot more structured, a lot, uh-huh. a lot more um, proper, I guess you yeah, could say. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to be a, a rock and roll guy. I wanted to, you know, 
whatever. And so I changed it and finally knew that I wanted to do something in ministry. So mm-hmm. I ended up with a degree in religious oh, education. Okay. That's right. what I ended up graduating with. So you talked about um, music and you and you wanted to pursue sure. that and then realized that what we were doing here was not what you wanted to do musically. Right. Sure, sure. What kind of music were you listening well, to? You said rock and roll. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a product of the 70s classic rock stuff, your yeah. sticks and journeys yeah. and foreigners and that kind of thing. But I, on the whole other side of the spectrum, I learned to play guitar by listening to John Denver's Rocky Mountain High. That's oh, the way cool. I learned to play guitar, by wow. listening to that. So there's a lot of finger-picking style. This is my own guitar that's like that. Um, that was the first time I fell in love with acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And so when I was here at Gardner-Webb, I played in a couple different bands on campus and had a lot of opportunities to play. At that point in time, the, the weird thing, thing was contemporary Christian music scene was just starting out. I mean, there were a handful of groups at the time. The Imperials, Amy Grant was starting. Um, Keith Green was big at the time. Uh, and, and we didn't know anything else but that. So mm-hmm. to me, to hear somebody like the Imperials we actually had drums in their music for gospel music, mm-hmm. I, I was shocked. I, hadn't, I didn't know that existed because when I grew up, it was Southern gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's all you did if you sang gospel music. So I'm, you know, so I got into introduced to that here and started playing and started I could write my own songs and I started kind of doing that. Worship music at that time was not like it is today. It was a little cheesy pass it ons or not a little bit more current than that. But it was a lot of um just not as uh not as modern as it is now today. Mm-hmm. And I started doing some of that at some churches around and really just started playing everywhere I could around here and that's kinda that's when I say my, the music at Gardner Webb wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm appreciative of what I learned here mm-hmm. and the, the vocal instruction I got mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff because it did make my voice stronger. But the stylistics were not what I wanted to do. And so after graduation, I went for it. So. <laughs> well, explain that process because sure. you were a part of a very popular yeah, band. You, I was. you did that for like, what, 15, 15 years? 15 years, about it, 14 years. How did that, how did that happen from finishing here right. and then going out into the larger world and and ending up in this band that did so well. I'll tell you, uh, I, when I graduated from Gardner Webb, um, and, and my wife who's here with me today, Angie, we we had dated a couple of years here, and we got married a month after we graduated um, in in uh, in June of uh, of eighty seven, and I knew I wanted to do music. I knew that was what I wanted to do. I just, I, for some reason, I just knew that's what I was going to do. It was almost like God had said. This is what I want you to do. Now, how those doors open, I have no idea. But here's what happened. I met a guy in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, named Richard Young. Richard worked with an organization called Regal Ventures. Today, Richard runs Young & Associates, who does all the major festival tours, uh, carowinds, Christian music days, all those things. Richard became my manager at that point. And and he was just a guy that loved music Mm -hmm. and, and liked me. Um. Another graduate from Gardner Webb, his name was Rick Harwell. He graduated a year or two before me. He was a piano player, keyboard guy, and I was an acoustic guy. And we got together and said, let's go out and do youth groups. Let's go out and write our own songs. And, and we did. We had no aspirations whatsoever of doing anything other than that. That mm-hmm. was just, he was a youth pastor at a church. I did that as well. I still wanted to do the music thing, you know. But we would go out on weekends and, and play. We got an opportunity to play a huge youth conference in Orlando through Richard um, in 88. And we did. What resulted from that 
was almost 100 booking concerts for the next year. Um, just nothing we solicited. It just happened. It mm-hmm. fell into our lap. Mm-hmm. Through that, we met others, and we ended up signing with Benson Music Group two years later, um, almost through a fluke. It, w- it wasn't something that we pursued. It's mm-hmm. something that fell in our lap. It just happened. It happened. It, it happened. They loved our music. They loved our songs. And it was called Age of Faith. It was called Age of Faith. Um, the band, was actually, the label actually named the band. That wasn't, oh, okay. wasn't my first choice of, uh, yeah. of a name. Um, but that's what they named it. Uh, and one of the things I, I, I'm able to talk about is the control that the, the industry often has on any, anybody who's mm-hmm. done this or is in it now will tell you that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just they own, they own it, you know. Yeah. And so... But that started a whirl, whirlwind of touring, um, pl- playing places I'd never thought I'd get to play in my life. You know, after Benson, we signed with Gray Dot, who was responsible for Third Day's launch mm-hmm. in, the, in the music world. Um, did a, did three records with them after the two with Benson. Um, but man, I got to play everywhere. You know, out of the country in Canada, and went to South America and number one song just had a really great run now, for you just years. really went by that quickly but it was go- number one song yeah we did i mean we had a song called the love of jesus and mac powell from third day sang a duet with me now we always attributed the fact that it went to number one because mac powell was on it because at that time third day was just kicking they were just really the band new band on the scene and mm-hmm. everybody wanted third day mm-hmm. but it was funny um the song came out on our Embrace record. It was one of the, took me 10 minutes to write. It's a very simple song. Not There's nothing, you know, this is very simple. And when we put it out on radio, we didn't think, we never we never once thought it would even get on the charts. Mm-hmm. Our publicist called and said, hey, look at the chart, you're number 19. I was like, oh, that's awesome, you know. Well, the next week, she calls and says, hey, look, we're number six. Oh, my gosh. This thing. And it had a what's called a bullet, yeah. which means it's rising. And... You know, and this was so unheard of for a band of our status because I, I say in the book that we'll, we'll talk about, but I say in the book that more people had not heard of us than ever heard of us. You know what I mean? Yeah, we had yeah, more of a cult yeah. type following, a smaller, yeah. you know. Um, but all of a sudden, you turn around the next week, that song's at number one. Yeah. And you got DC Talk in number two, a group called Point of Grace at three, Stephen Curtis at four, and a group called Anointed at five. Mm-hmm. So we were in good company. Mm-hmm. Now, it stayed at number one two, three weeks, and that was it. Still, it, it was number it, one. It, it, <laughs> it was. It dropped off, and we never had another one. But we, we had a couple other songs hit radio, but never, never the success of that one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, fluke, maybe so, um, but it was what it was, and, you know, it, yeah. So, and, and then it kind of all just went away. In 1998, we and, and understand from 97 to now this single was 96. Um, first couple records didn't do anything, although they were really good records in my opinion. But um, the 96 was when it, when Love of Jesus came out. Um, but the industry was changing a lot. It was sony's and the emis of the world were really coming in and really buying up a lot of the labels a lot of artists were losing their deals you know it's it's a i don't care what the industry is it's money driven it has to be sure it's like any other industry it's a business mm-hmm. it, it's money driven mm-hmm. um you know it, it's a shame i've had people talk to me and say i just can't wait i hope i get a record deal so my ministry will grow you're in the wrong you're no yeah the ministry should grow without the record deal you know but that, but that's a, that's a normal way of thinking. You know, you mm-hmm. think you get more exposure, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's there's truth to that. But 
Um, but anyway, in, in 98, the industry started changing. But understand that during that time, we were playing to our biggest crowds. We were playing all over the place, some great festivals, just great dates. We were on something called the Z Jam Radio Tour. Z Jam was a radio show out of Nashville that did rock, rock, pop type Christian music. And mm -hmm. Bill Scott was the, was the radio host of that. And he would go out and speak. We would do the music. And it was kind of a duo thing. And, uh, uh, and it would reach his audiences. And we were playing to thousands every time we did it. You know, just really good, good shows. All of a sudden, the, the industry was changing so much and so fast that our booking agent got hired out from under us for another big agency. Our manager and book, our manager left and went into mission work overseas. So it was just a, we, things were starting to, so we thought, okay, what's happening here? So we called it quits. We just said, you know what, we, I, I'm personally, 14 years. Mm -hmm. Gosh, man, I've been doing this a long time. Should we have quit at that time? We, the guys in the band, we talk about it now. No, we should have dropped back and took some time off and gone. Okay, what can we do to regroup this thing and make it better again? But we didn't. Um, maybe should have. We made a last record that was I don't like it. Um, it's just it wasn't done well. It doesn't. It wasn't done. We did it on our own. We should have had. You know, should other things should have happened. But, um, but the industry changed and. We decided to just be done. Mm -hmm. um, probably a wrong move at the time. But he, the other thing you have to understand is this is the way we made our living. So when the gigs weren't coming in, we weren't paying the bills. Yeah. And I was the only one married with children in the band. All the other guys, now our drummer Steve had just gotten married like four months prior. But I was the only one with kids. So where I was worried about how was I going to pay the power bill, those guys were worried about when they were going to buy their next pair of jeans. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's we picked, we joked about that yeah. a lot, you yeah. know. So, so the pressure was a little bit more on me because of I had a family to support, and they, you know, and they did too to some degree. They were on their own, but they were single, you know. Um, so that that drove a lot of why we quit because the money and the gigs just weren't coming in like we needed them to sustain mm -hmm. a touring band. With you got expenses with travel and equipment. We carried our own sound and lights and you know, rode the tech crew. And, and, and so we had a lot of expenses sure. and they were, it was stressing. And so we decided to stop. And that's when the, 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 uh, the train started rolling the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you had a problems dealing with this. I did. I, um, about a year before the band came to a demise, I knew that it was coming that way. I mm -hmm. could see it. We could all see it. And I just started really getting depressed, really just, I can, I wrote about it in the book about how I was in Minnesota and, I was sitting out in the audience during sound check while they were while it was being set up, and I was just like, "This is I am so depressed. I just want to be home." And we had four more days to be out, you know, and uh, and the crowd was good, but I felt like I didn't have anything to say. I just uh -huh. felt like I was going through the motions, uh -huh. and I could tell depression. And I was starting to shut down in the van. We we weren't on a tour bus. We were in the van, um, but I was starting to shut down. I, I wasn't real fun to be around a lot, and. So I was just not really dealing with that. And and I talk about how when I came off, when the band stopped, the phone stopped ringing. Mm -hmm. It just literally wouldn't ring anymore. And it used to ring all the time. Yeah. And it just stopped. Stopped ringing, man. And that just, the, the depression got worse and worse. And then throw on top of that, you had a physical injury. I did. Um, now, backing up a little bit, uh, I, part, part of the depression that I was realizing was, and I, realized, I didn't realize it at the time, but I realized it later, that I was finding who I was in what I did, 
in my music. Uh-huh. And a lot of people have said that, oh, music's who I am. And, and I get that. I, it's a lot of who I am. But it cannot define everything about me. If it does, you know, what happens if I lose my voice? What happens right. if I lost my fingers exactly. or whatever? Or what, and what could play? And then could I still function? We all hope so, you know. Um, so I was starting to find, but I found my identity in that. And I felt like I was important. Uh-huh. And people called me and people wanted me to do this. And people, you know, and I was writing songs for this. And I, all of a sudden that stopped. Yeah. The injury. Uh, I broke my shoulder or separated my shoulder in a bicycle accident with my kids on January the 1st of 2000. And I was prescribed um, pain medication, like most people are. You know, most people are prescribed that. But for me, it was a ticking time bomb mm-hmm. uh, when they when they first gave it to me. Um, man, those first two pills took that depression away. Wow. And I thought, this is this is happening right here. I love this. I didn't tell anybody that, but I loved it. And then when my wife brought me two more four hours later, which is what the bottle said, mm-hmm. I was like, heck yeah. Yeah, you know, let's go. I'm waiting for four more hours after this. Mm-hmm. And what started as two every four ended up on it's sixty a day. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. or yeah, it's sixty a day. And now, were you able to like function in your daily routine? Well, you depend on who you ask. Okay. <laughs> um, I thought I could. Uh, my wife may tell you different. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of the things that I write about in the book is that. She could always tell I was under the influence by my eyes. Hmm. My eyes were always glassy, always kind of, you could just tell. There was something not alive in there. And I, I contribute that to being under the influence, but also there was a lot of my, part of my soul was gone too. And I just, just empty, you know, but she could always tell. But I could function somewhat. I, I know for the first couple of years, I thought I hit it real well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's people that wondered, what in the world's wrong with Jimmy? Right. What, what's up? You know, he ain't like he usually is. And so, you know, I, I thought I hit it okay. You know, okay. I was able to function. So. And what kind of work were you doing during this time? At that time, I was doing whatever. Right. I had, at the fir- when it first started, I was working at the Inspiration Network. I had gotten a job at INSP mm-hmm. uh, doing production work. And later I ended up running a, um, record company over there with another I had a couple television shows that I hosted and I ran a record company over there and that kind of thing for about three and a half years mm-hmm. so the whole time that this was escalating I was doing that the danger there was I was working with four other young guys who had no clue yeah. I had my own office I was free to come and go as I want and that was just great for me you know because I could do what I needed to do to stay the way I wanted to stay mm-hmm. and never get caught you know, so yeah, I was there for about three and a half years, and I, I didn't lose that job because of anything that the, the job, just the record company, just wasn't doing what the record company needed to do. So they dropped the record company, and I decided to go elsewhere. You know, they offered me a job in another position, I declined it, and um, but yeah, my, the whole time I was there, it was it was just escalating, mm-hmm. just bad. You know, so yeah, that's the kind of work I was doing though. So I was still doing. And I want, but I wasn't playing like out and stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing that anymore. I wasn't. I was so into the addiction at that point that I wasn't even picking up the guitar and writing. I wasn't doing anything. It's crazy. When did you realize something had to change? Hmm. It started in two thousand. I knew in two thousand two that it needed to change, but I I wasn't I wasn't in a. I didn't want to. Right. I knew it needed to. I didn't want to. Right. But there were numerous times where I would attempt to stop, and I just couldn't do it. 
I just could not do it. The drug had that much of a hold on me. Um, because if anybody who's been on opiate medication, once you stop, you get extremely sick. And it is the worst sickness in the world. It's called drug withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Some people call it dope sick. Um, mm-hmm. doesn't happen for every drug, but this particular drug. And, and nobody wants to do that. And I went through that so many times that you do whatever it took to not be sick. Mm-hmm. And so I knew if I stopped, that's what I had to go through. Right. I didn't want to go through that, even though I did a bunch of times. But it wasn't until 2000, late 2000 or 2006, I think it was. Um, yeah, about mid-2006 where the rubber meet the road, you know. Um, it took a trip to Myrtle Beach. It took me being embarrassed on a temp job that was set up by my sister-in-law. And um, the, the trip to Myrtle Beach and my brother-in-law making a phone call. Um, those were three things that made the change to, to me to start. But it started with my wife saying, you either get help or get out of this house and you can see your kids whenever you get help. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and I have to paint a picture. And, and she wrote a chapter in the book about what it looks like on her view, which I think is extremely powerful for people who live with an addict. Or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, this is what it is. And, and she doesn't kind of get candy coated at all. Not everybody gets through it like we did. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people lose everything. They, sure. their, their lives are destroyed. Yeah. But she wanted to say that, you know, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. Um, but she was not a rubber a, a mat either. I, I made it clear in the book that she wasn't a doormat to my ways I was at the time, you know. And um, But she finally laid it down and said, I'm not doing this anymore. I've tried it and I'm not doing it anymore. This is what you got to do. You either get, either get help, be serious about it, find somewhere else to live. And I knew, and I, and she was serious, you know, and, but, but the other things, it all culminated together like one perfect storm to, to make me finally go, okay, mm-hmm. got to do something here. And what did you do that was successful? I mean, you had the motivation now. Sure. So what, what was, what was it? It was, enabled you to overcome that physical okay. addiction and right. also just, the, you know, the habit of, of being that way. Sure. Um, I, like I said, I had, we had done this horrible weekend in, in Myrtle Beach and it's horrible for a lot of reasons, um, but it was just a really eye-opener, just a terrible, terrible weekend. I came home and I knew that I, things had to change. A week or so later, um, I got a phone call from my brother-in-law. He said, hey, man, um, and, and, and Robbie was extremely encouraging to me. Um, and he said, my mother said that they are doing a study at Duke Medical on a new medication for opiate addicts. And I don't know that I'm allowed to say it on a podcast. Or I don't know how that works as far as. You can, um, you can say it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I didn't know how the legal. Yeah, uh, I didn't have to pay royalties on right yeah. <laughs> Um There was a medication out there, um, and I try to and I try to be real careful not to make this the only thing, you know, because I don't want to be just a self promotion. But I do talk about it in the book. It's a medication out called Suboxone. Um, it is for opiate addicts. It takes the withdrawals away and takes the cravings away. It's brand new, hardly hardly even heard of. But Duke University was doing a study on it, and um, they were doing it and were looking for participants. And I, it was in Durham, at work course where Duke is. And I wouldn't go up there every three days a week 
And I think back now sometimes I go, now why wouldn't I? It was like I didn't have the money, but yet I had the money to do what else I wanted to do. Right, you know? Yeah. You know, so, but what happened was is I made a call, phone call to Duke to talk to the head of this, the, this uh, study. I said, I can't come. She went, all right, then here's a website. She gave me a website. Make a long story short, she helped me find a doctor in the area that prescribed it. Mm-hmm. Only a couple doctors prescribed it mm-hmm. because it wasn't out yet. Right. It's only two in the whole Charlotte area at that time. And I got in to see one. He prescribed that medication. So when I first took it, I mean, I was totally, I could not believe it. I was mm-hmm. not sick. I had no cravings. Now, I say all that to say that's all great and all, but it cannot start with, it cannot be just about the medication. Right. There were other things in my mind, my heart that had to change too. I had to, I had to change things about myself. You know, I couldn't just rely on just medication to say, okay, well, I'm all better now because I wasn't. Because the first year that I was on the medication, I had slip ups. Mm-hmm. I had several relapses mm-hmm. that first year mm-hmm. because I wasn't, I had not gotten to a point where I was ready to say enough is enough is enough is enough. I'm ready for my whole life to change. I was, and that medication was helping. But I found the right doctor also. I found an addiction specialist who became an instrumental part of my life. And she is still instrumental in my life today. And she actually wrote a part for the beginning of the book. Um, um, and and she, uh, she became instrumental in telling me, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. So it was a combination of lots of things. And the one thing I always say is, you know, God never left me. Never. And that was a, I had a young guy today asking me, you know, how did that, how did the part with God, how'd you work that out? He asked me that over at the, at the LYCC and this morning. And I said, well, you know what? I knew God had never left me. I said, I had to, first of all, forgive myself. Mm. That was huge for me because I went through a lot of guilt. I went through, and I still, you know what? Today, I still do. I still think, oh my gosh. But starting to forgive myself, was a big deal with me. Once I was able to start going, you know what? That was what I was back then. I'm not that today. Mm-hmm. And I started knowing that God still loved me exactly. I told this kid today, I said, you know what? If if I was still doing drugs today, God would still love me just like he did before I did them anyway. Mm-hmm. Once I realized that, and I realized that I don't have to do a bunch of stuff, you know, uh, the grace of God covered me. And I realized that, that that was real, and I learned to be, and I, I learned two things. I learned to forgive myself, and I learned that it's okay to mess up. You know, I think sometimes, and, I, and, I don't, and that's not a green light to go out and do whatever the heck you want to do. Right. But if you do mess up, it's part of being human, too. You know, we can't be perfect, and I never will be perfect. And the one thing, the danger of addiction is when you open your eyes in the morning, you never know when that small that voice is going to scream in your ear you never know i hear it from addicts all the time i was good for a year and i blew it i get it i understand how that works um i've been sober for almost nine it'll be nine this year you know and and it's been a journey but it didn't start overnight Mm -hmm. it wasn't something when i got my medicine and all of a sudden i'm well now instantaneously absolutely not it was a growth process it took and mine took several years, mm-hmm. you know. Well, you've been sober for nine years now. How has your uh, ministry changed in that in that period? 
what what is it that you're doing now other than writing the book sure um well i i went the interesting one of the interesting things i did in 2000 late 2006 a year to that my wife and i had started attending a new church and i would i can remember sitting in that church and being being dope sick it's just didn't want to be there just oh the last place i wanted to be i became that their worship leader uh for eight years uh up until this past december of 2014 i uh was their worship leader and that was a total i never saw that i never would have thought that would have happened mm -hmm. And it was just God's way of saying, I'm not done with you. I've right. still got something for you to do. Even if it's standing up here every Sunday and just singing these worship songs, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. um, the, the biggest thing that I did was I went back to school. I went back and got a second degree. Um, I went back and got a degree in psychology, psychology with an emphasis on addiction. Okay. And now I'm in the middle of working on my master's in addiction recovery. So I knew that besides just music, I wanted to work in that field to help people and, you know, I've been there. I know. I know how you feel, you know. And and then, so so those are the things I've done. Um, writing songs became a big thing again because there for a while, I stopped. I stopped going to Nashville. I stopped doing all that stuff. It took a baseball tournament in Nashville with my son for me to reacquaint myself with friends out there that I'd written with for years. You know, God just had these little bitty things that were thrown back into my life that worked. And then the book came out. Then the book, I started writing the book, started putting the story. But interesting thing about the book, I originally wrote the book in 2005. I Wish It Would Rain, my story of depression came out, but I wouldn't tell anybody about the addiction. Yeah. I was too scared to tell anybody. I was too ashamed, too, too in fear of people would go, oh my gosh, you know, you were addicted. You, you let that happen to you. So I didn't tell anybody. So now the book, I Wish It Would Rain, a story of addiction, depression and redemption now it's the whole story it's the whole right. thing so i actually don't even have the other one in print anymore mm -hmm. um but yeah so i so i went back and rewrote it again i went back and put my pen to paper it took me about two and a half years to write and it was as honest as i could get it uh, the good the bad and the very ugly people know? listening to this if they want to uh, get a copy of that book mm -hmm. um how can they go about doing a couple ways um you can certainly go to amazon.com get it um my website uh, JimmyRay.com. Um, you get to tell people how you spell that. Okay, I spell it like Hendrix. I spell it J-I-M-I-R-A-Y. That's JimmyRay.com. Yeah. Um, actually, it, I changed that here at Gardner Webb. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay. it was J-I-M-I until I came here. Then I changed it well, for whatever reason. I don't yeah. know. Well, because Hendrix. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. And but it's JimmyRay.com. If you go there, it's it's very obvious how you can. Right get the book but you can also read excerpts the whole introduction chapters up to read um there's excerpts from about nine or ten chapters in there you can read and then you can, it's got ordering information as well um but you know i tell people go to uh, it'll be available at all outlets you know you can at least go into a books a million and get it uh, or or right. ask for it right um it'll be available on kindle and nook and all that kind all of that stuff, stuff within the next four weeks okay and i hope I hope to have an audio version out soon. Now I'm going to read it myself. You're going to read it yourself. I That's think awesome. so. If I can yeah. get my country voice to change a little bit, but I'd like to, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, the, I I started writing it in 2011, and here it is, 2015, and it's finally come out. Wow. And it just took it just took writing it, rewriting it, saying what I wanted to say, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I wanted a kid came to me and he said, "Thanks for keeping it real today." And that meant more to me than anything else because I felt like that's what I wanted it to be. And the book's very honest. It's very real. It's, mm -hmm. it's nothing sugar-coated about it. And it's, it's, it's the whole story, good, bad, and ugly, man. One of the things that you've mentioned is that um, 
after the addiction, the, the desire to play and to write sure. came back. And I think you've got a song for yep. us that you're yep. going to play today that's I do. pretty new. I wanted to write a song that kind of was not, I, you can say testimony song, but I, I, I didn't want to write it. I wanted to write a song that kind of expressed how I felt about what I went through and where I am now. And, and I mentioned about I mentioned about forgiving myself and that kind of thing. So there's a there's a little bit of that in here, and um, I, you know, the cool thing is that I want to uh, I wanted to write that kind of song because I'd written other ones for people, and this one's this one's for me. You know, I wrote this song for me, even though it's one of my favorite ones I've written. But it's called Here and Now, and uh, hey, you wanna roll it? Let's do, do it. it. Let's All do right. it. In our lives, as always, things we wish we could erase. Where we had to learn the hard way, like putting faith in a bottle, the drugs or the devil disguised. As a friend or lover, we can't go back and fix things. Cause time keeps moving on And here and now Everything that got me here had a reason I believe somehow Every chapter in my life had a scene heart is prone to wonder to what I've left behind oh but now I find the real life starts here and When I finally pointed the finger back at me Instead of blaming someone else I discovered freedom And truth that broke these chains That bound me to my past Because the love of Jesus It was me I finally forgave mm, And here and now Every chapter in my life had a season And I believe somehow Everything that got me here had a reason My heart is prone to wonder To what I've left behind 
now I find The real life starts here and And now change is coming It's been a long time overdue Here I found something from all that I went through. And here and now, everything that got me here had a reason. I believe somehow. Every chapter in my life had a season My heart is prone to wonder To what I left behind Oh, but now I find The real life starts here That's Jimmy Ray, live in our studios, and uh, it's been such a pleasure having you in the studio, back in the studio. Yes, right. Kind of reconnecting from the 80s. Absolutely. uh, Great to be here. I worked here. Yes, I I remember. Uh, And so it's so great to have you back here with WGWG. Great story. Thank you. And great music. And folks can check you out online. They need to... Look for your website yep, so they website. can find some of this uh, music. Right. And, and a lot of my music, all my music on my web on my website is pretty much free to download with in exchange of your email address. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of so- other stuff on there too. Um, I'm on Facebook too. Um, I have a music page and a personal page. So you know, yeah, I'm all over the place. You can find me. No and doubt. from all that stuff, they can uh, they can find that new book That's you're right. talking about. That's right. Absolutely, uh, an inspiring story and some just beautiful music. Thanks Thank so you so much for coming by. Thank you very much. Good to be here.